This is James A. Smith on The Popular Show. It's nearly Halloween and our theme is Slutty Podcasters. I'm joined by Dan Evans, a fan favourite. You can roll back and uh, listen to our discussion of the Petit Bourgeoisie from earlier this year. And for the first time on The Popular Show, it uh, is Reed Wildermuth. Both of you guys have books out with repeater uh, books, so nice to have a sort of publishing family um, affair uh, on here. Um, I've got Reed's new uh, text, Here Be Monsters, How to Fight Capitalism Instead of Ourselves. Uh, and I think that these two sort of belong on the shelf together. Dan's A Nation of Shopkeepers, The Unstoppable Rise of the Petty Bourgeoisie. Both of these are, in some ways, critiques of the left uh, from within the left, uh, sort of self-criticisms. Um, but uh, I think that we're actually all feeling rather optimistic about the left and its present conduct. So it's a slightly different kind of show from the sort of thing that all three of us, I think, are used to um, having to do. Uh, welcome to the popular show, guys. Uh, really great to have you in. No, Thank you. Have me again. Always a pleasure to see you, Dan. Now, Reid, um, let's get a bit of this background straight because th- this is your first um, work of... of socialist theory, your first intervention into um, the left at, at book length, but it's not by any means your first book. There's a fair amount of stuff on your website. Uh, can you tell us something about the, the kinds of books um, that you usually write? Because this is very interesting. Yeah, uh, thank you. And thanks for having me here. And thanks for having both of the bad boys of repeater books here, where <laughs> um, the black sheep or the whatever you want to call us. But um, yeah, so uh, normally I write esoteric um, esoteric political stuff. Uh, wh- one of my big focuses has been on political theology. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also uh, uh, I'm a pagan. I've written a lot of books on paganism. Uh, I'm a practicing druid. Um, and I was also a activist, a union organizer, and uh, quite a lot of other things, but pretty heavily involved in left activism in Seattle for about 16, 17 years uh, as well. So it's kind of a melange of all of those things. Here Be Monsters, How to Fight Capitalism Instead of Each Other, um, draws on on those experiences, those uh, that sort of background in, in left-wing circles and, and in movements. Um, and at, at times, as well as being a very kind of rewarding um, book from the point of view of left-wing strategy. At times, it, it's like watching a, an amazing sitcom about one's <laughs> own comrades and about uh, these sort of interpersonal experiences we all end up having if we stick around on the, the left long enough. So it's also a, f- a funny book and, and a very critical book uh, and uh, a, a book full of um, full of wonderful anecdotes, but also is very clear-sighted about how to get out of some of the self-defeating pathologies and habits that um, activists often find themselves in. I, I'm going to say that the, the Druid thing actually threw me off. I, I assumed that you were Welsh too. <laughs> <laughs> when Dan mentioned your, your book, I assumed that you guys were, you know, were, were, uh, knew each other, but actually you only know each other through um, the, the promotion for, for this book. I'll, t- I'll tell you very briefly, actually, the reason why I have a Welsh first name. That's not the name I was born with, but I had a dream about uh, 20 years ago on Halloween. So actually, I guess it's 23 years ago now, um, where a bunch of people were calling me this name, um, but I didn't know that they were calling me. And uh, they just kept saying, read, read. I'm like, 
that's, that's weird. Like read what? Like we're like a book. What's going on? Until so some woman next to me is like, they're calling you. I'm like, that's not my name. It's like, oh, you don't know it yet. Well, okay. <laughs> this is what we call you later. I was like, oh, all right. So I changed my first name to that. So you're telling me we've got the Welsh Dolazol on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, are you comfortable with this? He, dream, he dreamed he had a Welsh name and now he does. Welsh cultural appropriation, yeah? <laughs> it's, I was just saying as well about Reed's book, it's, um, it's a very, uh, one of the things I was struck by, it's a very gentle book. Like it's a very comradely and kind book. Um, it, like it is a critique, but it's so like methodical. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, I uh, re- really, really, really enjoyed it. It was uh, a really great addition. Thank you, Dan. I I loved your book, too, so. Circle Chirk Podcast. All, exactly. All, all excellent <laughs> books, all essential <laughs> books. Yeah, I'm James, of course. <laughs> we, um, on the popular show, we, uh, we've done a couple of episodes now on the Gaza crisis, looking seriously at, at what's going on there. Uh, at the actions and interventions of Israel and the Israel lobby internationally and how um, they try to influence the way the story of the region gets told. And also, uh, we've looked at the long prehistory of the relationship between Western liberals and the concept of Zionism. So with that sort of done for now, I thought we'd kind of permit ourselves in some ways a slightly inward-looking indulgence of, of thinking not about the, the primary thing of the enormous suffering and, and I don't mind saying genocide uh, that's going on in Gaza right now, but instead start at least from um, the point of view of the effect this is likely to have on politics in the West, uh, both on the, the left and the right. Um, I don't know about you guys, but it's been extremely clarifying and interesting to see the stances that have been taken on this latest escalation, you know, perhaps even terminal escalation of um, the, the conflict in Gaza. Um, and really interesting to try to sort of join the dots between the stances that people have taken on previous recent crises and events and, and where they've ended up now. I, I, it's maybe a little early to say that there is a, a kind of um, a sort of realignment on the left and on the populist right and other forms of dissident activism and thought uh, that are, have uh, come so much to the fore in recent years. But something's going on, I think. Oh, yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, war and foreign policy, you know, I think when we think of capitalist crisis, we sometimes we don't think necessarily always of, of war and foreign policy. Um, we sort of think of just, you know, well, capital, you know, it, depression and things like that. And obviously we have got, you know, we are in a recession. Um, but I think what's happened so clearly, and if you're just speaking to the average person, um, that it's just revealed this enormous gulf between leaders and led to the point where it can't be disguised anymore. I mean, to the point where the, you know, as chance this guy on the, the Palestine march um, on Saturday in Cardiff, and he just said like the people, like Starmer, people like that, they're like a different species. Like he just yeah. said, they're so so far removed from um from everyone else and it's just been so nakedly revealed um it's just really incredible really incredible and i think what's also useful related to that is you know the scales have fallen from people's eyes about the labor party um i mean 
obviously people have to get there at their own pace. But you'd think now finally, like this is it. Like you would you would hope. You would hope. I mean, obviously I've said that about a million times in the past and I said it about the Iraq war. <laughs> um but I think, you know, you can you can sort of see a lot of the young left activists that were sort of in uh, through Corbyn. Um, I think this might be a moment where it's just like, no, this isn't a vehicle for anything. Yeah, it, it, these um, these protests have been absolutely huge. They've been enormous in Britain. They've been pretty big elsewhere as well. It, it is interesting to see Britain um, almost leading the way actually in in european terms in term uh, as far as the size of these protests are concerned it, it is it, it, we are in such a propagandized moment on so many issues and it is fascinating to see complete agreement across parties all over europe all over britain all over north america um and yet such a refusal to be propagandized by that media uniformity, by that political uniformity. Um, and the left isn't buying it. Normies aren't buying it. Um, you've got, as I say, this incredible turnout for these protests. And I, I just think that at this point, they are too big for your average person to find the media representation of what is going on in Israel and Gaza convincing anymore like your your average like the the classic centrist dad your suburban guy who always wants to take a, a kind of reactionary line if they possibly can especially on foreign policy they're seeing their niece posting on instagram from this protest and they're seeing one thing and, and then they're turning on the news and seeing another thing and uh, i i think it is it's actually quite a, quite a crucial moment and quite a a, a potentially galvanizing moment actually um as as much as it's coming out of the most abject tragedy can i can i ask you to a question is so uh has there been any official um uh attempt to make them illegal in the united kingdom because in france and germany it's illegal to protest in favor of palestine right now that's what that's what's on the news at the moment is uh Suella Braveman and uh, the Met Police, I can't remember his name, the guy uh, uh, who the head, head of it is, they're yeah. talking about, um, you know, they, they're obviously unhappy that this has been allowed to happen. So mm. they're talking very seriously about trying to criminalise um, or utilise, I think, existing laws to criminalise it. What's happened is they've been, there's been isolated incidents of Palestinian flags being confiscated, people being arrested on demos police turning up to people's houses for flying the Palestinian flags. Um, but it looks as if the law that they're using is pretty threadbare, right, James? Like, it's pretty... They haven't got a, a leg to stand on at the moment. But obviously, okay. obviously, that's what that's the direction of travel. That's what they're trying to do. Um, because I, I, I think you're not seeing anything from Europe right now specifically because you can't. Like, you're not allowed to. Like, the, the French government uh, passed an emergency law making it illegal every prefecture has done an arrest uh, for every attempted march. If, if you go out there, the police are there. It's like uh, six people, I think, is the maximum or is the trigger. If there's six people that are looking like they're going to, then the police can come and stop you and order you to go home. And if you don't go home, you go to jail. Um, and it's been very something very similar in Germany as well. So, so you know, and of course, the Parisians or the French in general will still protest. 
but yeah. Uh, yeah. you know you're seeing things much larger in London I think right now because you know you don't have you don't have armies of robocops with rubber bullets threatening to and they will you know the French the French police will do that to you yeah um, but you guys you guys don't have that there yet yet yeah no this is this is right so I mean Macron has has got um, years of building up that emergency powers apparatus and the, the muscle yeah. memory is there with the police and um, he's had he's had a real enemy in the yellow vests uh, and so the the, um, the apparatus for crushing protest and, and criminalizing it is already there and ready to go Germany as far as what's being fed into me um, is concerned at least is so much more psychologically awkward on the question of Israel that there's much more consent for criminalizing uh, pro-Palestinian protests. So they're, they're kind of in, in different situations with the same result. While Britain, um, despite having made a quite big push to criminalize protests in the in the Boris Johnson years, that, that legislation is still sort of lagging behind a little bit and they mm. don't quite have um, the, um, the policy program to do it. I, actually, frankly, if, if Keir Starmer, if Britain's Macron in the waiting um, uh, uh, was in power, I suspect it would, the, the criminalization would be happening much more smoothly um, than, uh, than it currently is. So uh, we've, we've got a situation where not only um, is there unprecedented demonstrations uh, and potential for demonstrations um, against Israel and in solidarity with uh, the Gazans and the Palestinians in general. Uh, we've also got a situation where there is unprecedented resistance to the standard Atlanticist uh, line on Israel internationally. Um, we, we've had a kind of trial run in the global south, in the, the BRICS countries, in, in all the countries that stand outside the Washington Europe consensus um they've had they've had a trial run in in the ukraine war it, uh, it, they've they've had um uh, time to kind of work out that they they don't need to follow america on everything anymore that there is increasingly a kind of breakup of that unipolar order um and again that there's a there is a sort of muscle memory oh shit we didn't have to follow uh, Biden on on uh, <laughs> condemning Putin for every little thing and 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 saying that we support um, uh, escalation and flooding weapons into Ukraine. What's that got to do with us? They're saying in Brazil, they're saying in Africa, they're saying in China. Well, uh, a lot of these countries are sort of saying the same thing for the first time over Israel. So it, it's um it, it's it's amazing to see both um, an unprecedented level of censorship and. Um, use of propaganda. Um, this is worse than the war on terror because you think back to then. You know, I said it to George Calloway on this show. The difference is back then people like him were allowed on TV. Now you don't see people making that kind of anti-imperialist argument on the mainstream media anymore. Back then, Blair didn't kick the Labour left out of the Labour Party. Didn't kick Jeremy Corbyn out. Didn't kick um, the the, the uh, you know anybody who who uh, dissented on on Iraq out of the party. Now that is what happens. So we're more propagandized. We're more controlled. You're more likely to lose your job for having dissenting opinions on foreign policy. And yet the resistance is there. The refusal to fall for it is there. It's there both internationally and it's there 
inside our countries. There was a, a great piece in Conservative Home, the Conservative Home blog, uh, which is really worth looking at the the kind of tone of horror that it has that uh you know we well we ran oh, that, a, a fo- that conspiracy theory one. that's right yeah we ran yeah, a focus yeah. focus group among democrats and they were clear-eyed and appalled at the savagery of the hamas attacks and supportive of israel to take defensive action but we asked british voters swing voters what they uh, <laughs> thought about um the hamas attacks and and and, and the, the wider situation and they reached a quote almost immediately for conspiracy theories quote they're just focusing on what's happened not the bigger picture or for both sidesism i believe things just as bad had happened to the other side one even got close to suggesting the attacks were justified the hamas attacks uh, of october 7th were justified as tragic as it is this um uh, interviewee said it's certainly not an easy one to say what's right and wrong so conservative home represent this as a d- dreadful crisis that the brits are all falling for conspiracy theories now i think this has to be read as the spirit of 17 it takes me back to jeremy corbyn making the speech after the manchester arena bombing saying terrorism is the result or is blowback it's the result of what we do in the muslim world uh, and the, the 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 way that all politicians and all the media were totally shocked when everybody agreed with that, including mm. a majority of Tory voters. There is still a kind of instinctive anti-imperialism among ordinary people in the country, people who aren't identified with the left, people who aren't even identified with um, dissident nationalist anti-war people on the on, on the right, people who just come to it through their own suspicions and their own instincts. So I, I think that this has to be taken as a moment of, despite the awful context of grudging optimism, actually, at how people are reacting and responding. There's an amazing coming together of like a number of different um, sort of streams on my social media. So, you know, a lot of uh, my Instagram, like my my friends, sort of like sort of lefty university friends are all like, you know, pro-Palestine. My friends who uh, moved to Dubai, you know, to live like glitzy life, obviously, extremely pro-Palestine. Then you've got the lads in like the Manosphere, you know, the Andrew Tate fans um, are posting stuff about, you know, pro-Palestine. And there's, there's interesting, like these male sort of you know, these masculinity influences in America, you know, if there's a draft coming, you know, there's no way I'm going to fight for like this corrupt elite government. Um, mm. You know, I was like, this, this is very different from the sort of Chris Kyle uh, vibe that I was getting like, you know, not that long ago. Um, and there's something else is interesting, like um, more like maybe this is it, uh, uh, an aside, but, you know, more Muslim voices in like sport and celebrity, you know, a lot of MMA fighters, um, a lot of Muslim footballers. So, you know, these sort of, for, for all the awful things with social media, there has been like an equalizing effect where like young British people are being exposed to uh, a far greater diversity of opinion uh, on their social media than they would if they'd just been watching the news, you know. So it's been really interesting to to note this. And I've even had my, you know, my friends were just mess. Like I've had a, me- a message off one of my mates who just said, "What's going on here?" You know, it's the, the the news is saying that Israel are like the good guys, but they always chat shit. So I'm assuming it's the opposite, you know. So um, there's this the, the, the cynicism. This, as you said, the cynicism is is huge, and there is, I think, like a uh, well, there's that generic, let's say, working class, but like anti, anti-imperialism or anti-authoritarianism that's sort of rearing its head. People are so sick of um, the lies that are being pushed. It, 
And I, I hope, I mean, again, I'm, I always get ahead of myself in these in these situations, but you think, you know, this has got to be a moment. It has to be a moment. Like, we have to keep pushing, keep going. I mean, I'm not normally, like, a fan of street protests, but you think, well, you know, get out. If we keep getting out, then obviously I know the debates are happening importantly at the moment in the union movement, you know, not as fast as we would like, obviously, but in terms of like Unite, um, they're having discussions about handling munitions and, and things like that. Um, so hopefully something will come of it because it should. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I'm interested in that manosphere um, angle. I, and uh, Not an I expert mean, I, on this. Well, no, no, but we're all sort of seeing it in the peripheral vision. And um, mm. I, I, I mean, I, I complained a lot about how soft the left was on resisting escalation in Ukraine. I, mm. I, I think that uh, certainly as far as the Anglophone left is concerned, I, I mean, I, I suppose I, I should have been grateful, really. I, I, the, the, their performance on COVID was, uh, you know, the most kind of, active calls for escalation of lockdowns and vaccine mandates and so on. I suppose I should have been grateful that they were just mute and passive on, 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 on Ukraine. It could, could certainly have been worse. But um, by and large, the, the radical left, so-called, sort of took the role of um, sort of police dog, really, for the establishment line. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we were the first ones to offer up the naughty tankies in, in our in our midst uh, and the, the naughty mm -hmm. red browns who um, were criticizing um, NATO and the, and the West and, and, and weren't condemning Putin enough. So in the end, it just turned into a situation where the, the left was either doing nothing or was kind of worse than nothing because it was shoring up the the, the nato line in a, in a way that was completely yeah. unnecessary and unjustified that but that it, did it leave it to the right yeah well please yeah yeah no you're you're absolutely right there um but this time around that did leave it to the right to make the case against nato and against um um escalation in eastern europe um and against flooding the region indiscriminately with weapons and maybe that was actually kind of a useful thing because it lets the right kind of find its own way to those arguments they weren't sort of tarred with the, the left in a certain respect um that makes it all the more kind of um confusing and slightly scattershots the situation we find ourselves in now where uh, all of a sudden the so-called woke optics mediocre left of um no <laughs> no offense to anyone concerned but that's what it's not what i'm saying it's not what anyone here says that's what people say about owen jones nabara media on other issues suddenly they are as hard as nails and i can't really fault the way they're approaching this stuff and it's them alongside your glenn greenwald's your Jimmy Dawes, your Matt Taibis, your, uh, your 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 people who have kind of been represented as um, not properly on the left, oh, and and they themselves have been dispirited and, and and disappointed about the left, and have kind of, if not altogether left the left, have sort of gone that way. Mm -hmm. um, suddenly, you've got these these kind of hitherto totally divided segments of of the the broad left are are walking in lockstep lockstep together they're completely on the same page about criticizing um the american line criticizing israel criticizing like to ignoring tone policing on these matters all that kind of stuff 
Meanwhile, rightists who I've sort of been, you know, quite pally with over COVID have thought, oh, some of these guys are doing a better job than us on Ukraine. Suddenly they've reverted to type and are back in the, the, the Zionist camp. Suddenly they like cancel culture. You know, you should be mm -hmm. fired from your job if you if you don't condemn Hamas, etc. And um, yeah, the whole picture, the whole kind of mosaic tile thing has been mixed up again. And, and, and we're all on slightly changed sides. It really does feel like a, a, a massive shakeup. Like I, I've been really interested in the way that um, a lot of the a lot of the, the the radical feminist, more gender critical sorts in Britain, um, yeah. who you know, basically they've just gone over completely to the radical feminist side. There was for a little bit a kind of left analysis for many of them, uh, you know, a Marxist uh, feminist analysis. But as soon as they saw this, it was like, oh no, these are angry men. Please protect us, you know, like. And, and so they just reverted to some of the some of the nastiest things <laughs> you could ever imagine. And of course, then you know, and I've I, I I had tried to write an essay for this, and I think I'm just not ready to write it yet. But there's the in the United States for a long time at every gay parade, a pride parade in every major city, the IDF would send their gay and queer soldiers over <laughs> to march with us, mm -hmm. and. And I remember there was a there was a protest about this in Chicago one year, where the lesbians who usually marched or usually organized the the, the march before it was the, the dykes on bikes is what it was usually called, but um you know they had said no we don't we don't want this here we're not we're not a pro Israel thing what's going on here, and then uh, they had actually split and and a lot of these people are the same ones who became kind of the gender critical sorts later on. But there was a split between that uh, that kind of broke up that parade or that that pride parade. I think there was one year where they did not host one because of the the problems with that, and that was because the IDF was sending in their, you know, and saying, "Hey, we have trans soldiers, you know, we have gay soldiers. You can serve openly as much as you want. We are on the right side, and the Palestinians are on the wrong side." And that's been really interesting to see where um, the the argument from and it's this kind of neoliberal or liberal democracy argument where the West and all of its capitalist values is able to at least make a better life for, you know, fags like me, you know, um, and hey, it's great, you know, like you might not like capitalism, but at least we'll let you be trans is has always been kind of the argument. Um, and versus these more reactionary groups of people, which they usually just mean Muslims, if they're talking about someone outside of the West, or if they're talking about someone within the, the West, they, they mean someone like the, the Trump deplorable types. It's like those people want to kill you and we'll protect you from them. But in Israel, you have, you know, you can, you can be trans, gay, queer, non-binary, whatever you want. The IDF will give you the right pronouns and we'll make sure that your pronouns are said correctly and they'll give you a gun to go kill Palestinians. And and I think there's going to be a upcoming divide again. You know, there's going to be a shakeup just as the shakeups that we've seen already, but we're going to see that with the identity politics stuff as well. We're going to see mm -hmm. the left reaching a point where, you know, the Owen Jones sorts are going to realize, wait, there is a contradiction here in you know, it's 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 not just check one box to to get all of the benefits of this thing. That like actually these 
ideologies are not complete and we have to kind of create new ones and fuse it. And maybe sometimes people on the right have been a little correct in some of their analysis. Even though I don't like them, maybe I should listen to them. So I think we're going to start seeing some of that. It might just take a while, especially especially in the United States. Maybe maybe Britain will get there a little bit faster than the US will, but the US is you know, maybe not ready for that yet. I think th I think stuff is changing. I mean, obviously I'm not just saying this because they keep inv inviting me on a few times, but I think the VAR have been great. Um, like Aaron... They have been absolutely great. Aaron is really good on... Um, to be fair, he, he's he been very consistent, I think, on like issues of freedom of speech. Um, I think he's like a free speech absolutist, like Chomsky. Um, and he's never really gone in for no platform and things like that. But I do think stuff has changed. Like I did a panel with uh, Aaron and Ash in um, The World Transformed, and it was very much... I came away feeling very uh, positive. Um, feels like, well, I think a lot of people are just looking and say, well, look at where we are, you know, look, we're, we're nowhere. Um, so we have to start reaching out. And, and, and as you said, it's been really interesting because we've all had our criticisms of like the left, obviously, you know, Reed and I have written, a, written books about it, but um, people are taking the correct line and sort of holding firm. And also like, Things like freedom of speech, I think seeing these uh, moments where it's like, right, well, you, you have to defend freedom of speech for all, uh, at all times because, you know, it, it's going to come for you. And this is one of those moments, it's sort of like an online McCarthyism where people are losing their jobs um, for being pro-Palestine. Um, but what has been really interesting, as you say, James, is seeing the right just become whiny little uh, bitches, basically, like they're, yeah. they're so... Uh, they give it the big one, you know, um, like Matthew Goodwin, classic example, uh, free speech, the new woke elite. Um, and now they're all crying about uh, how intimidated they are by this uh, march across London. It's unsafe for Jewish people because of this. Um, So-and-so should be fired. They're just, total, it's not just they're hypocrites. I think a lot of it is because for the British right, you know, including the pro-Brexit, you know, particularly the pro, like a rump of the pro-Brexit the pro -Brexit, uh, lot, they've always just been Atlanticists, you know, like that's yeah. their, that's their main, uh, that's their MO has always been to turn the UK into a, even more of a vassal, you know, state for the US um, and, and support for Israel is, is part of it. But it's, and it's also revealed, like you said, that the Capitals A and B team, like the Labour right are, I mean, one of the, one of the amazing um, pillars of sort of like you, you get, you know, you, you join the Labour right, let's say, in university. Uh, was it Labour student? I can't remember which one the right wing is, you know. And then one of the things in some weird ceremony, presumably, you learn to like love NATO, uh, hate, like hate, hate Putin. He's behind everything. And the other one is like you join the Labour Friends of Israel. Um, and it, it just becomes this insane article of faith people like Luke Akehurst, um, in a way that it just doesn't apply to any normal human yeah. being, you know, left or right. Um, but I, yeah, I do, I do, I hope that, I hope there is a moment. I really do. I, I, it does feel like things are realigning over this. Yeah. I mean, that, that does just go to show that in Britain without socialism, uh, both wokeness and anti-wokeness are both forms of Atlantic vassalage mm. <laughs> the the, yeah, the, yeah. the the woke are you know trying to apply these uh, american concepts to mm. british circumstances and the anti-woke are basically 
finding you know what the most compelling argument they can for just following the american um line on on, on foreign policy ultimately that at, at least that that's what um that's the sort of hand that uh, a lot of people like matthew goodwin as a good example are, are showing now um in america meanwhile i, I said this on the the previous show it, it is just remarkable that we've had the better part of a decade of america first um but clearly it hasn't banished the neoconservative ethos they haven't gotten over that um that reflex i, I mean th there is a very healthy and strong tradition of anti-israel opinion on the american right it comes from an anti-semitic place <laughs> in many cases but uh, what i said to samuel moyne is well, you know where is that old-fashioned paleocon anti-semitism when you need it when it would actually be useful that that pat buchanan um a, a, a kind of stance against israel it's absolutely nowhere this is another kind of way in which trump for, for all um his kind of aesthetic transformation of the american right and you shouldn't underestimate aesthetics it can be very useful uh mm. and and is better than nothing <laughs> quite a lot of the time but clearly it is a an aesthetic refurbishment and they just haven't gotten over that um absolute embrace of a, of a kind of you know christian rooted of course um a, a, a zionist um anti-muslim um, ethos and, and pro-intervention ethos uh, as, uh, as much as they were able to kind of avoid the, the argument for over-intervention in Ukraine, they just can't do it for Israel. Can I, can I add something here? Because this is kind of my, my specialty, like the, mm -hmm. the political right. theology stuff. And I grew up a, as a fundamentalist Christian until I was 18. So um, the, the Christian... Um, apocalyptic vision in the United States. It's its very difficult for Europeans. I, you know, I, I try to explain this to my husband and mm -hmm. my Catholic mother-in-law, and they're just like, this makes no sense. But, and I think even for, for people in the UK, it's like, well, no, that sounds pretty crazy. But within the United States, it is such a thing to really honestly believe that the, uh, that the state of Israel must exist and the, the third temple must be rebuilt in order for Jesus to come back. Now, of course, the, the Christians who believe this, and there's quite a few, there was a, there was a poll, and it's, it's quite old, but there was a poll that said something like 55% uh, of Americans believe that the events in the book of Revelation will take place. They just believe that it's gonna happen. Um, and there was a Christian, like this, this kind of, uh, um, you know, eschatological idea um, had been within the Reagan White House. Uh, that he had an advisor uh, whose name, I want to say it's Hal Lindsey, I'm not sure if that's completely correct, but uh, he had written scenarios where um, Russia comes in to uh, destroy the people of Israel um, in the sacred place of Gog and Magog. That was where the battle is going to be, technically, you know, the Valley of Armageddon. Um, but, and, and perhaps, I'm not sure if you had seen this or not, but... Um, there's an argument to be made that uh, Hamas had decided to do this attack specifically timed with um, an event uh, dealing with the Al-Aqsa Mosque because that same that same temple or that same hill is where the third temple is supposed to be rebuilt. Um, and of course, archaeologists have already kind of shown that there actually really was no Temple of Solomon. None of you know this is all mythic to them. 
but there's a there's a far right ultra 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 orthodox group within israel who's been trying to reinstate animal sacrifice and in order to reinstate animal sacrifice you have to have one thing you have to have a pure red cow um there needs to have absolutely no blemishes and three of them just arrived in israel a few years ago and so they've been they've been talking about how they're going to do the sacrifices and you've had uh is israeli settlers and and especially people of this orthodox group going to the al-aqsa mosque and defacing it with the with the threat that at some point we're going to tear this down we're going to build a temple here we're going to start the sacrifices again and of course the christians in america see this and they're like that means jesus is coming back and and even if they do not specifically honestly like if you ask them do you really think jesus is going to come back they they might not say no or they might not say yes However, there's still this sense, there's still this ghost belief that this is a significant thing. And there, so therefore, what is happening in Israel, what the Israelis do, um, is somehow part of God's plan. And anybody who's standing against that must be, therefore, part of Satan's plan or is trying to, you know, stop the second coming of Christ. So you have all of these theological things going on that are still informing the political stuff within the United States which even if it does not appear to be overtly Christian anymore, it absolutely, utterly is. Well, I don't know. I mean, it was, what was crazy to me um, was seeing uh, Trump, didn't Trump come out and basically criticize Netanyahu because he's got some personal beef. He's yeah. got some personal yeah, petty yeah, yeah. beef with him. And I thought, well, this is awesome because this guy is so petty. He's going to take like a, a, a decent, a better line on foreign policy again than Biden not based on any sort of geopolitical calculations, just because he's like, yeah, he's just inc incredibly uh, bitter about something. But then someone said, well, if you doubt the power of the Israel lobby in the US, as he said, mm -hmm. it's like, only thing, a couple of days later, like Trump changes his tune. When does oh, that yeah. ever happen? Do you know what I mean? Like, um, uh, hard, hardly ever. Um, but I, I, it, has been, yeah, no. it has been interesting, really, because like, I wonder what... Um, in terms of like the you know the different fractions in like the U.S. ruling class and things like that, obviously Hillary um, and a bunch of other. Well, I think James, you guys called her a demon. <laughs> and I was like, well, that. But the thing is, I can't watch a clip of her, and I do think de like a demon. She is like you. You look look read the like David Ike uh, is just demon weird. is too kind. Yeah, demon is too kind of a there, word. You know, and, and there was just she, this deep evil energy there. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, and obviously Biden is like senile. Um, and then, you know, but but obviously like the, you're looking at what, are the, what, obviously there's that, there is that Christian fundamentalist thing, but then obviously Israel is a, a vassal state of the, of the US. It's like sort of an outpost. Um, but I'm wondering what the vibe is from like the national security, you know, the security state in America at the moment, because it seems like they're trying to urge urge restraint you know from netanyahu and, like, and they apparently got him to turn the electricity back on um then it was like are they buy and then there was that thing which said oh they're just buying i thought they were going to call for a delay for humanitarian reason but then there was that leak and it said no no we just want we just want to get enough uh assets over there so if it does kick off we're, pre <laughs> we're prepared but i was just wondering reed like what's the you know in terms of like the the who's the uh, the guy who got fired, the 
Oh, it, the the guy who quit, you mean, right? No, like sorry, he resigned. The 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 talking head. Sorry, the the, the um oh. Tucker, Tucker Carlson. Like, what's the what's oh the oh, oh like oh. Tucker and you know because they they've all taken an isolationist perspective over Ukraine. I was wondering what they've they've done about I mean, this. Tucker would be on my list with with Jimmy Dore and Glenn Greenwald of. Uh, you know the, the the Lord of the Rings meme with the dwarf and the elf riding together. Yeah, Tucker's Tucker's on a horse as well with Owen and, uh, <laughs> and Navarro. Uh, but, but he's kind of, he's kind of the only one. Um, <laughs> it's so much easier to understand politics through memes. It's so much easier. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So I, I have not paid attention exactly to what you know. I, I try not to think what the American government might just do, but I mean, it's it's quite obvious, like. Nothing, nothing fixes an economy. Nothing fixes internal strife like a war, you know. Um, and 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 there are, of course, like there's a there's a part of the population in the United States who would love to see a war because, of course, like well, it's for Israel. You know, I, I read about Israel in the Bible, so yeah, let's go to war. You know, and and but I mean, and I I probably shouldn't make fun of the voice on that because honestly, it's you see this everywhere. You don't just see it in. It's not a reactionary poor um group of people who believe this sort of thing like you see like fully middle class and upper class and extremely rich people who are who also believe these things you know um like billionaires are very 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 certain that this is incredibly important to the coming of of jesus you know and if not necessarily the the second coming of jesus that there is some sort of sacred responsibility of america to make sure that israel becomes what it's supposed to have been what they all read about it being in the bible you know um I, one thing though I, I wanted to go back to what we were talking about before um because like it's 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 a question that when i look at what what you know the people in america that i still follow and i try not to follow so many of them anymore but when i look at them like to try to figure out okay so you are supporting the palestinians here but you're supporting them for a surprising reason that I was not expecting. Um, and then you see people that you expected to, you know, immediately support the Palestinians and, and you don't see them doing that. Like, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders is a great example of, you know, immediately like coming out like, you know, Hamas is bad and, and all of that. And everyone's just like, OK, well, we're done with Sanders. And the same thing with uh, Alexandra um, Ocasio-Cortez. The same thing. We're just, you know, a refusal to even say anything that might get her in trouble, but then you start wondering, well, actually, you know, maybe you are completely on the side of Israel here. What's what's going on? Why, why are you doing this? But one, one, one question I keep thinking is like, why are people supporting Palestine? You know, I, like I have the answer for myself, which is that it's it's the same thing that I would answer in any other situation. It, it's, it's like from that short story of, uh, Ursula K. Le Guin, uh, the ones who walk away from Omalas. Just very briefly in that story, it's she, she talks about a utopian paradise. It's everything is beautiful. Everybody is completely happy. Um, but there's there's one um, dark side to it. And it, uh, it's it's a child who's locked in a closet. Uh, there's no light. It's barely fed. Um, and it's always been there. And everybody knows it's there. In fact, they go and visit it. Um, everybody goes and looks at it at least once. Sometimes they'll hit the child. Um, and they'll walk away from it. And, and everybody, everybody knows that in order to have their perfect, happy life, there has to be this awful situation for this one child in a closet. 
and then there are the people who say you know what i don't actually want this happy life anymore i'm going to walk away and and for me it's like well yeah of course nobody should be in a walled open-air camp like this like no matter what happened to anybody before no one should be living in this situation and no one should be supporting those who force people to be in this situation and so for me that's a that's a material conditions thing you know for me it's like no one should be in those material conditions like we are human and this is inhuman um whereas you see and i was going to say like a lot of people are like well it's decolonization or it's uh you know it's anti-imperialism or whatever and there's lots of other reasons too but i feel like in this situation this is actually just the return of material conditions again where where people are actually able to just have this visceral reaction to no no one should starve like that no one should have their houses bombed like that you know yeah i i can't be alone in having gone on a, a bit of a journey through the sort of Corbyn ordeal and uh, Labour's anti-Semitism affair here in the UK, I think prior to that, I would probably have just taken a kind of, I don't know, a, a, a slightly pragmatic, um, well, what is the outcome here? Why are these guys so poor and unable to cross over these borders? Why, why, uh, why is it that a rocket comes out of here and... You know, maybe someone gets a, a scratch on their arm, and then suddenly, you know, family after family is getting is getting bombed out. But it, it was only kind of being forced every day to mouth things that just didn't seem to be true. It was only being told that if you didn't buy into this Alice in Wonderland concept, then you were a racist. It was only that that forced me to take a slightly more ideological view on it. It was it was only being told that Labour and Corbyn that Corbyn was wicked for not wanting to have the um, uh, International Holocaust Remembrance Association definitions, uh, sorry, examples to this definition of anti-Semitism, including the one that said that it is anti-Semitic to regard. The state of Israel as a racist endeavor, you know, it was it, it was like, oh, hang on, why why don't you? I wasn't going to say that, but what, hang on, why why shouldn't I say that? Well, actually, this is what has has really led me to the conviction that you can't have a state based on the the, the supremacy and priority of one ethnicity without this being the outcome, without a child getting locked in a cupboard, as as in the story that read related it this will always be the outcome of um of zionism and the, the fact is that zionism is just like a whole lot of other um kooky interesting attractive um ideas of modernity uh a, a, a kind of utopian kind of fantasy of how you could run a state these people who have been kicked out of every other country over the centuries these people have been subject to pogroms and to the holocaust and all of this evil what if we made a state for them it's easy to see how attractive and appealing that that idea is to many jews but also to many non-jews who feel kind of guilty or, or, or responsible for that history um but it has been treated with such little scrutiny compared to every other utopian concept of, of how to kind of build a, a state that would support that would, so, would solve all our problems that somehow we've ended up now in 2023 in, in in post 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 capitalist realism where we don't believe in anything at all yet we're supposed to believe in this 
this dream idea that you could have a, a peaceful, ideal state where one ethnic group who have been mistreated are allowed to finally live in peace. No, of course it will only ever involve this violence. A two-state solution will involve the same violence because as soon as you've, it's impossible anyway, how are you supposed to do that when the West Bank is like a, a Swiss cheese of, of illegal settlements mm, that mm. have deliberately been sent there? Gaza is, uh, if, uh, if the obvious plan goes ahead, is not going to have any Palestinians in it. What is this two-state two solution going to be? Even if it was possible, you would have the same, to use the Israeli phrase, demographic time bomb in the new Jewish state, you would you would still have the same problem of having to right. police birth rates and ethnicity always by that is always done by violence. So, no, I, 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 I'm not pragmatic on this. I believe that the, the very the idea of Israel uh, as it is practiced today and as it is forced on uh, all of us today um, can only result in in this kind of um, devastation and violence. Now, you know, if people are alarmed by that, well, don't worry, because uh, any kind of idea of a, a secular democratic state, you know, with its own version of a Good Friday Agreement, where Muslims and Jews can, you know, have autonomy in a single state solution, we're so far from that, that uh, and mm -hmm. are getting further and further from that, that don't worry, my evil ideas aren't going to be put into practice. Um, there is utopian and Zionism itself at this stage. But you know, I've I've not heard anybody reasonably refute that that that, uh, that critique. Um, no, I mean, uh, I, one of the one of the worrying things for me was that you think back. I mean, growing up when I was in university and you know, uh, Palestine. I can't remember when the Oslo Accords were, um, but when you know, when I was growing up and reading about the situation, you know, the two state solution um, was sort of a norm. You know, um, mm. as like that was the pragmatic um, approach. Obviously, like I think you know, the PLO even agreed to like the you know Israel's recognize Israel's right to exist in in the Oslo Accords and things like that. Um, but now you're just like, well, how you know how 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 is how is how would it be possible? Like obviously you've got as James said, you've got an eth essentially a fascist ethno state, um, which doesn't just oppress and exploit internally like the Palestinians you know there's also like all these problems with like you know Marazi Jews and um black African migrants getting like racially abused and things like that um and like Netanyahu is as close to close to a fascist as as is possible to get I think um didn't he describe himself as one or his, his sympathy or something like that um but I was looking at the map again of um the West Bank and Gaza like you James and I thought Hmm. Yeah, like how 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 this wouldn't be a two-state solution, would it? It wouldn't be a two-state solution because, as you said, the settlements are so massive. Um, but then, obviously, the worry was was when Hamas attacked. You thought, well, if I was Netanyahu now, you'd be thinking, well, this is a. You know, there's almost two ways this can go. You know, it can be like if you're not going to have a two-state solution, then it's just going to be a one. <laughs> it's going to be a one-state solution in which the Palestinians are wiped off the map. And the thing is. I do think we do like the. It's not a criticism, but one of the things I, I think, um, that like for example, what's happened with Nagorno Karabakh or however you pronounce it, um, there are no good endings, you know. In uh, there's no like fantasy magical endings in international relations. It's just you know might makes right, and you know you've got one enclave that's just being totally ethnically cleansed. You know it's happened, um, oh, and it could. Uh, so I think. 
we sometimes are guilty of thinking, well, obviously Palestine is going to be free. You know, obviously this is going to happen. Obviously it's going to be a two-state solution. Um, whereas when they're gearing up to attack and level Gaza, I was just there thinking, well, it's also feasible that this goes another way. You know, mm. it's also feasible that Israel actually gets set what it's always wanted, destroys Hamas, you know, wipes out Gaza, uh, expels the remaining Palestinians, what, presumably into Egypt, um, and that, and you know, you know what I mean. That, that that is one way of sort. Yeah, that's one way of solving. Well, he, it. I mean, he's, of... he's made speech after speech saying that uh, the the way to avoid a Palestinian state, and the, and yeah. you, even the the good Israelis who for whom Netanyahu is a, a Trump like embarrassment, they believe the same mm -hmm. thing. Like there is no there, there is no support for a Palestinian state in Israel, mm -hmm. and. It, it, you know, we hear so much about, oh, the Palestinians never took the offer. Well, no Israeli wants it either. Netanyahu said the way that we stop it happening is to fund Hamas, cultivate Hamas there, who we're right, to be right, not doing right. business with. And, I, I mean, it, it's worth throwing in here that people, people are entitled to this opinion, but we hear so much about how, oh, you know, Jews abandoned um, uh, labor because of Corbyn. Uh, are, uh, Jews are so alienated by these um, pro-Palestinian protests. No, they left Labour and the left under Ed Miliband because Ed Miliband, a Jewish Labour leader, said he supported a two-state solution and supported a, a state of Palestine. There is not a there is not support among conservative and right liberal Jews in the diaspora any more than in Israel itself for a two-state solution. Yeah, of course, some of our, our, our strongest comrades and the, the most vociferous critics of Israel are themselves Jewish. Yeah, absolutely. And we've been defending those uh, uh, folks and fighting alongside them all, all through um, the, the, the recent ordeals. But there, you know, all this lip service to a two-state solution is both impossible and not desired by a, 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 a huge swathe of, of one side in the question. Yeah, and, it, and obviously we forget that, you know, Yitzhak Rabin got killed by the sort of people who are basically running the state of Israel for entertaining yeah, the yeah. that's why they killed him, you know. Um, and that seems to have been memory hold. The, well, the whole the whole accord seems to be memory hold, you know. Um, it's a quite, but it's quite, it's quite a. I mean, I, right. I, it's it's on the one hand, I'm optimistic in terms of the protests um, and the solidarity that's been shown, but in terms of uh, the actual geopolitical outcomes. Um, yeah, TBC. it's really easy to be pessimistic about it because because not only is there no apparent viable solution that would actually work, you know, there's no one to broker that anymore. Like there, there's yeah. there's no state actor that could possibly broker anything like that. I you know I, I the the closest you have is I mean, it's kind of ridiculous, but the Catholic Church, you know the the um it, it was not quite the Archbishop, but um I, I'm trying to remember what his uh. I, I think he was called Patriarch, but he's not actually Orthodox. He's Catholic, but he offered himself. He was like, hey, you know what? Um, give me over to Hamas so we could get the hostages back. You know, and he's like, I'll, I'll go. I'll go. I'll do this. You know, but there's 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 no state actor who can actually say, hey, hey, kids, stop, you know, or we're going to force you to stop. There's, there's no one who will do that. Um, no one who can and no one who would even have the, the will to do that. Instead, we have, you know, this this really you know the atlantic order the the 
the, the kind of NATO alignment that was existing kind of falling apart. It's, it's shown itself to be ridiculous now. Um, I mean, nothing, there was nothing more ridiculous, I think, than uh, right after, it was, I think it was the, the evening of October 7th uh, when Zelensky had uh, tweeted out something long that was pretty much like, hey, let me make this about me. You know, mm -hmm. like, see, I mean, you know, Russia and Hamas are the same thing. And and I'm on the front lines fighting them. So give me more money, please. Okay, um, I've forgotten about that war now. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I, I mean, except if you're in, in mainland Europe, you know, I mean, like it's it's still there. You know, I have I've Polish neighbors, you know, they're they're aware of it. But then also there's the oh, look, there's lots of guns suddenly everywhere now. Where are those coming from? I have no idea where everybody's getting all of these guns now, you know, it's like, oh, right. No, the whole world has been sending them into a completely porous, corrupt nation that's redistributing them. Um, you know, so we're not forgetting about the Ukraine, Russia thing, but more it's just that we're going to feel all of the, the fun effects of, of what the international community decided to do. Um, but yeah, there's, I mean, I, I, I don't know either, like what, what, what comes next after this, no idea, but you know, it's, it is at least kind of hopeful to feel these realignments and also to see, I mean, it was, I think, uh, I think James had said in the, uh, in a, in a tweet when you were talking about doing the show, like, you know, the left is doing everything right. Or maybe it was Dan, I can't remember one of you. And was like, yeah, for the first fucking time in a long God's damn time, I actually like the left again. You know, I'm actually kind of proud to be a leftist again. It's like, okay, yeah, no. Well, I think one of the benefits, I mean, I also think in the UK and possibly the US, you're seeing the benefits of, you know, we've always said for years, you know, what will happen if the Labour Party dies? What happens if the Labour Party, uh, you know, wasn't there? And it's just unambiguously a good thing. You know, people aren't necessarily like, you know, uh, Obviously, there is an internal debate where people like Paul Mason are making all this about labor and electability and things like that. And but generally speaking, like people aren't getting, as you as James said, you've had however many years of a group of relatively naive people being hammered about anti-Semitism, racism, um, who are there now extremely jaded by that, don't have any illusions about the Labour Party. Now this big international event uh, and crisis unfolds. People have almost been prepared for it. You know, there's no that people are under no illusions anymore. And I think I I, I think that the you know the, the exposure of the Labour Party as this like long-standing tool of imperialism um, is a really good thing. I mean, obviously nothing formal has emerged, but I think the conditions are right for starting something for starting something new. Um, for for sure. The question is going to be who this new formation is going to be able to break bread with that that's the mm. the the real test it's one thing that the left has been able to discard its censoriousness its panic about who it's seen to be associating with that it's been able to embrace solidarity at its real core instead of the weak um ngo concepts of uh, of allyship it, it, it is able to say uh it's irrelevant what the social views of these palestinians are it, it is not for um for uh, uh me to 
um, you know, con condemn the, the sympathy for Hamas, etc., among Palestinians. The point is, what is happening to these people is unjust, and and I need to be seen, and and, and need to be doing what I what little I can to 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 put myself in the in the picture to stop it. Um, all of that is 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 great and and it's it's great that progressive accepts except palestine has been replaced with contrarian except palestine <laughs> it's the it's the it's the contrarians and, and and the rightists who are more likely to be kind of um showing themselves up at, at, at this point but how do we like get that um th those good qualities that the left is now showing to apply in other areas how do we retain this ethos when we get off of this particular issue that has seems to have kind of cleansed a lot of um, the, the left's position. I, I would love to suggest something. I, I really think we need to push this, um, you know, push the, the identity politics to its the contradiction that it's come to mm -hmm. where, hey, look, you know, most of the Palestinians have what you would call reactionary politics if they were living in the United States or in Britain. You would say, hey, these people have backwards beliefs about women, about gays. You know, they, they don't use the right pronouns, et cetera. You would, you would say all of these things about them. But you can look past all of this to see their, their human suffering. Now, what if you were able to also do that to the people who are actually living, you know, literally across the street for, from you or in the same apartment building, the people that you've decided or were told for decades are your enemy? because they don't use the right words, they don't have the right beliefs. And you've said, I will never work with those people. But you can work with people and you can, you, you can have sympathy for what's happening for the Palestinians. Why don't you try to broaden that? Why don't you also try to say, hey, I'm, I'm gonna talk to that neighbor who I, you know, I, 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 think, I, I think probably hates me, but maybe he or she doesn't and see if we can figure out how to make our landlord stop increasing our rent. You know, like very practical ways of dropping the ideological um, pickiness, as it were, you know, like like little spoiled children who are, no, I don't want my peas and my carrots touching on the plate. It's like, no, actually, let's let's let those mix a little bit and instead just eat and see what we can actually accomplish. And I think that's one of the routes forward because people are already there. You know, they've already been able to, you know, to be fair in the United States, from what I've seen. There's still a sense where people are saying, no, actually, nobody in Palestine is, is reactionary. And it's like, well, I mean, actually, let's get rid of the word reactionary. But they do hold some views that you would not like if they were, you know, trying to march on the, on the street with you against a war. You would not like them and you would say, I don't work with those people. But you're able to get past that. So, you know, let's let's do something about that. Let's expand that. And it's been about common humanity as well, you know, like I think that is such a, it's not saying that has been lost, but, you know, a lot of it is about, well, I mean, I had to keep deleting Twitter because every morning, like, I don't know why that it kept auto playing, but, you know, you men get up in the morning and like have, you know, my, my girlfriend's obsessed with that guy, Huberman, you know, like the, uh, the wellness influencer. And it's just like, get up every day, like get your sunlight, do your like exercise. She like gets up and like get sunlight does yoga and i'm just like get up open my phone like um but like now you see and you're seeing videos of like kids being pulled out of rubble um and you're just like man this is 
just horrific, absolutely horrific. And there's something in there about the suffering of children, which I think is um, has been particularly um, particularly powerful and like you not unifying. Um, cause I'm not saying it's apolitical. Obviously, it's a, it is political, but it's such a visceral. It's been such a visceral um, um, thing to witness that it seems to have transcended any sort of ideological lines or like purity tests, like Reed said. Um, I also think it's interesting that so when Corbyn was being marginalised, and obviously the Labour Party is effectively dead. But one of the biggest worries I had was that that tradition of internationalism on the British left was also going to die because you know Corbyn's from like a tiny sect really within the Labour Party it's not like yeah. a massive tradition but it's a good strong t- tradition and then I think um quite recently or, or quite soon before the like Hamas attack um I think Andrew Fisher wrote that article saying like stop the war needs to be wound up you know because it's like an embarrassment um and I think, you know, that was obviously, it's been shown up to be a wrong, a ridiculous position because, it, you know, you need a core of these people with internationalist beliefs. Um, but so it's good to see those sort of thriving. But conversely, what's been, what was heartening for me when I went on these, uh, the protest marches, you know, you typically go on these marches and they're pretty depressing because they're organised by small Trotskyist groups and no one else turns up. But these ones are led you know, they're pretty organic, you know, yeah, you've got SWP placards everywhere, but they're not the typical lefty marches, you know, these are really bringing in absolutely everyone, you know, like uh, students, you know, professionals, uh, you know, the Muslim community, um, but also like the, the sort of um, the solidarity like across the Muslim world being interesting, you know, like you got like, I think the, Sau- the Saudis and, uh, you, got, you know, the, the Saudis and the Iranians sort of, um united um another uh, another lord of the rings being there <laughs> but it yeah it's yeah like well like reed said I, i'm i've been quite optimistic um about some of this stuff and like i remember doing a pod with uh, norman finkelstein and he said what's interesting is that you know in the 60s and 70s you know support for palestine would have been incredibly niche mm. in america you know it wouldn't have happened a lot of that is obviously to do with demographic shift you know like america is in the last relatively recently had like a lot of Muslim migrants, like from Iraq, from Syria, from uh, Ethiopia and things like that in a way that it didn't used to uh, compared to Europe, I think. But um, it's been interesting to see like, you know, huge demos in America as well. Um, yeah. So we just got to keep the, we've got to keep the, we just got to keep the pressure up. You know, I think it's, this, it's one of those moments where you just keep like, this is a, this is a choke point. This is like a, everything's everything is crumbling um mm-hmm. I, th- I think so we've got to keep keep doing it yeah uh, you know I, I i think back to um maybe 2016 something like that um when the first like talk about cancel culture was really starting to take off and there was some disagreement on parts of the left whether this actually was a, a problem with the left or whether it was. And I remember talking to Doug Lane, and I, I was taking, you know, the the view that wasn't particularly forward-looking. Actually, the standard lib line of well, who's actually been cancelled? We're hearing all this cancel culture. Well, who, you know, has this happened? Who has actually been cancelled in a meaningful way? And Doug Lane from um, formerly Zero Books, now now Sublation Media, he's he 
to be honest, he was struggling a bit to think of an example. And he said, Norm Finkelstein. So there's this very interesting way in which, like, we've gone from, uh, you know, the, the, the pro-Israel stuff and the punishment of pro-Palestinians being the original cancel culture and the most effective cancel culture. We've gone through the left sort of adopting it in various ways and, mm, and yeah. to some extent I, I think popularizing it and spreading it across the political spectrum. And now finally we've washed up on the on the yeah. same old shore of it being the ultimate weapon of mm. the, the pro Israel side. Um, and you know we're seeing people fired, we're seeing people deplatformed um, and more to the point we're seeing calls for firing deplatforming and thus people holding back from saying what they really think about it uh I, we, we're seeing can, it can in, I add in the hands something? of the right just just to, to, to finish this little Sorry. point like the Sorry. other the other side that we need the left to like keep hold of is to see okay this kind of behavior this sort of aspiration to purify the discourse by using the threat of people's jobs is completely unethical and completely wicked and and mustn't have mustn't be characteristic of our side again mm. sorry so, please Karen. no no i'm sorry sorry about interrupting i, I just uh, so i i was i was hardcore antifa or antifa whatever you mm. want to pronounce it if you mispronounce it wrong they say that you're a fascist um, it, <laughs> Hard when, when stuff really started hitting, um, it was actually a closer to like 2015. Um, most people were using one website as a reference point on whether somebody was actually a fascist or not. If you're going to talk about any sort of group, any sort of thinker, whatever you were, you were going to reference this one website. And that was the anti-defamation leagues database of white nationalist, fascist, anti-Semitist, etc. You know, the, the ADL had set the model for all of yeah. all of the cancellations on Antifa. And 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 I remember just wait, why do why do we keep using them? And then, you know, uh, eventually you started seeing some other databases coming up, but but still you'd see people quote the ADL and it's like, wait, no, they're the ones who like when when Muslims ever try to say anything in the United States, they get these people shut down immediately. Like they were they were the ones who were backing any or all of the attempts to make sure that there would never be an Islamic community center anywhere near the which the World Trade Center towers in the United States after they had collapsed. You know, they were also the ones who were like, if you said, hey, this many homosexuals also died in the Holocaust, they were saying, you are anti-Semitic. You need to stop that. It was Jews only. You know, they were so over the top that most of my Jewish friends were like, no, 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 they don't speak for us. Like most, you know, but everybody was scared of them. And then and then Antifa just kind of just followed that model. And then now you, you know, they're mostly gone as well, which is great. You know, they might come back. Who knows? But I think everybody else is seeing, hey, you know, just as you were saying, the original the original cancellation, the original sin was to ever say anything bad about the state of Israel. And by saying anything bad about the state of Israel, that meant you were immediately saying something bad about every single Jew in the world, which is the same as saying something bad about this black person or this trans person means that you hate all trans people, all black people all, all across the world. It's the same model. And I think we're just, we're finally ready to jettison it. I think everyone is just realizing, no, this doesn't work because the machinery has come back and said, okay, you did something, you held a Palestinian flag or you tweeted something, so you deserve to starve. Well, if the council mob 
fancies it, there's plenty to work with in this episode of the popular show. <laughs> Thanks so much for rolling the dice on this uh, spooky pre-Halloween night. Reed Wildermuth and Dan Evans. Uh, there's so much more to talk about. I know you guys have got to bounce. You've got uh, TV to watch with your loved ones. Um, I, I'd love to have you back on whenever you're happy to do so. Um, it's always fantastic to speak to both of you. No, thanks thanks so much for having us. I'll do another great finally to books. see you, Dan. Yeah, you too, me. Yeah, you too. Yeah, great to bring you two uh, Welsh Druids uh, together. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Dan's book, of course, all of our listeners already have it. It's A Nation of Shopkeepers, The Unstoppable Rise of the Petty Bourgeoisie. And Reed's fantastic book uh, is just out, and it's called Here Be Monsters, How to Fight Capitalism Instead of Each Other, both from Repeater Books. This is the popular show. Please consider supporting our work and radical independent media over at patreon.com forward slash the popular pod.